Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Woman in Compliance podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary and I wanted to express my sincere appreciation on behalf of Lisa and myself to those who have heeded the call to rate and review our book and podcast. If you didn't already know, it really makes a difference. So thank you for sending the elevator back down to us. If you've not done so and would like to help out, do look out for the five stars in your podcast player. You may need to scroll down within our page within the Apple Podcasts app or whatever podcast player you're on and select the rating that you think we deserve and pop that in. Even reviews of only one sentence are really helpful too. So that would be ideally on Amazon with the book if you've read that and you don't really have much time, even just a sentence is good. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine, Karina Volmer who, while based these days in Virginia, is someone I used to see every day in the office in Singapore as my colleague in compliance at Tata Communications. Welcome to the show, Karina. Please tell us more about yourself. Thank you, Mary. And those were such great times. My favorite <laughs> compliance memories was out there in Singapore with you, learning how to do due diligence reviews, learning how to be patient and advising the business as to how to overcome issues we may have found during the due diligence process. Good time, mm -hmm. time. Thanks very much for hosting me, Mary and Lisa. I'm Karina Volmer. I'm the Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer at Amentum. We're a company based out of Northern Virginia. We provide services in a variety of different areas, engineering management, supporting critical systems and programs. Our customer base is mostly U.S. government agencies, we do have a smaller portion of our business that are commercial customers. We work both inside and outside of the U.S. in more than 72 countries. We've got 36,000 employees worldwide. So the compliance and ethics program that I'm responsible for, it is a global program. Some of the things that I are in my area is the management, or ensuring the success of our ethics hotline, managing our internal investigations process and our program and our training program for investigators. And then the other compliance areas that typical compliance folks do, such as anti-bribery, anti-corruption, data privacy, conflicts of in combating trafficking in person. That's a big area in the government mm -hmm. contracting space. And you get everything that comes up. <laughs> I think many of our listeners are nodding in agreement with that last <laughs> catch-all there. Whatever needs to get done, we will do. <laughs> but yeah, no, I love the compliance space. I've been in the legal field since 2004, doing compliance since I met Mary in 2011 in Singapore. And it is definitely an interesting area to be in, as many of you can attest, I'm sure. You shared one of your favorite memories of that time was substantively. For me, one of my favorite memories is a consistency of each of us had commutes into the office from different areas of Singapore. And we would be, oh my God, at the time using VM, Blackberry oh Messenger, rest in yes. peace. I so miss <laughs> you. And your button. Our <laughs> screens were so small. And we used to message each other every morning. And then we would walk back to the station together at the end of work. And I really I loved that consistency and certainty of <laughs> something in yes. my day. Yes, good times. Sweating 
and <laughs> while walking through the streets of Singapore, trying to get to work, looking like we are composed and <laughs> poised perf- compliance professionals. Exactly so. You're originally from Indonesia, and in fact, we once spent a very busy weekend in Jakarta where I love pretty much everything and repeatedly exclaimed, damn, I love Jakarta the whole time. You may remember this. Yeah. Um, What are some cultural aspects about Indonesia that compliance officers should know about? Yeah, that was fun as well. So the background story behind this before we get into the compliance question is that there is this one store by a very famous hotel in Jakarta called Hotel Indonesia, but they have this one store that sells Jakarta merch and it's called Damn, I Love Jakarta. And I really wish we had gotten you something from there, Mary. So that's (laughs) why she kept on saying it all weekend. Yes, still (laughs) tired. So one thing to keep in mind if you're a compliance professional and Indonesia or this part of the world is in your wheelhouse is that hospitality is a huge part of the culture, not just for Indonesia, but many countries around the world, right? So if this is a big aspect of your business, what I really encourage compliance professionals to do is really get to know that part of the business, understand what type of hospitality do they do? Is it dinners? Is it golf outings? Is it taking them to site visits to where your companies are located? What's the extent of hospitality? What's discussed during those meetings? How does it tie into the points as to which your customer or potential customer is making their decision? Just make sure that group really knows what your policy says and what are its parameters on hospitality. But I do think you need to spend some time with them to understand the climate that they're in so that when you're giving a on what your policy says, and maybe they'll seek an exception to your policy one from time to time. You already understand the context and the climate. I think in certain parts of the world like that, you just cannot take a super strict approach with it, but there is often a compromise that yeah. can still be compliant, but achieve their purpose, which is right to build customer relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the time as well with the Asian culture, it's the familial, the community-based culture. And so it's not even necessarily always building the professional relationship, but just being a good human being in society. And one of the things that I think a lot of Westerners have learned is that red envelopes are a thing in a lot of countries with Chinese folks. What they may be less familiar with are white envelopes, which are often given at funerals. And if white envelopes are not given a lot of countries in Asia, there is a tradition of contributing to the cost suffering that a bereaved family is going through by helping with the funeral. And so it may be that you're getting asked, hey, I need to give cash to this. What we customarily do to help lessen the burden on this member of the community And a way to get around the zero tolerance for giving cash is to ask, okay, what would meaningfully contribute? Could it be a wreath for floral arrangement instead that we could send instead of the cash? Because cash is a problem under our policy, the flower Mm -hmm. arrangement, not so much, and it would still help with the costs. So thinking about it like that, what I've learned as well is that to your point about really spending time is that a lot of the time when there are traditions and customs that are built inherently into culture, people assume that the compliance policy doesn't apply because it's so inherent. 
as a practice that you do, well, it can't possibly apply. There must be an exception for Diwali or red envelopes or whatever. And so if you don't know about them to specifically address it in a training and say, I'm conscious of white envelopes and I just wanted to confirm that we cannot give them on behalf of the business, let's have a conversation about what we can do instead to address cultural desires and what you wish to do as an individual and what we can reasonably do as a company is it even appropriate for the company to be given something in this particular relationship or is it better that the individual themselves giving something in their own right because they feel a personal obligation correct yes yeah no that's a good point mary and i also feel that sometimes our colleagues especially if we don't know them very well they won't proactively explain the context with your white envelope example. They won't explain, okay, this is what's customary in our culture. Not about giving cash, it's about contributing to this event for this important person. So you almost have to pry it out of people or Mm -hmm. be the one to ask them, right? Instead of receiving an email, hey, can we give cash to this person of this amount and then just saying, no, it's not allowed under our policy. If time is not of the essence, you know, ask them, can you explain more? What's the purpose, mm-hmm. the intent? Who is the recipient? Why do you feel the need to give cash? And mm-hmm. you can discuss and see what makes sense in light mm-hmm. of the policy and the cultural context and mm-hmm. the local laws. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So many things. That's what they so many things, yeah. Thanks for that. That's really helpful. And I obviously would encourage you all to take a trip to Indonesia at some point so that you too can exclaim, damn, I love Jakarta every five seconds. What are some of the things that compliance folks working for government contractors are especially concerned about? <clears throat> I think it changes depending on what the government is paying attention to at a given given time, or if there's a new regulation that's being passed or is about to be passed. Some of the areas unique to the government contracting space is number one, combating trafficking in persons, right? Particularly for government contractors who have members of the workforce supporting U.S. government missions outside of the U.S. And if those missions rely on an international workforce, sometimes they may not even be your own employees. Sometimes they are employees of your subcontractors or your subcontractors. So (laughs) the whole supply chain of a workforce, but really ensuring that you've got not only the right policies and practices in place, but you're constantly monitoring and making sure that as people are getting recruited for these jobs, they're not paying recruitment fees, that they are being presented with their terms of employment in a clear fashion, in a language that they understand, that when they arrive to the country where the work is being performed, that their pay, their work hours, their other benefits align with what they were told when Mm -hmm. they left their home country and left Mm -hmm. their family, right? All of that, that's a very important aspect of being a responsible government contractor. Another area that government contractors especially those in the compliance space, think about is in the areas of conflicts of interest. Anytime that the business would like to engage or hire someone who used to work for the government to help support our business, ensuring that there's no conflict, that we really screen what did they work on when they were with the government, what do what specific contractor opportunity do we want to want them to work on now with us? 
And is there a conflict? Do they have any post-government employment restrictions we have to think about? Would it be an unfair competitive advantage if we were to engage them? Things like that. And then the last area I would mention is in the government contracting space, we have to really track certain substantiated internal investigations because there are disclosure requirements to our customer and sometimes to the office of the inspector general of our customer's agency for certain substantiated issues and understanding what's going on with our investigations and knowing when to disclose and when is really important. Nice. Thank you for that. Something that you may not be aware of, at least I believe in the, and I don't mean you, Karina, I mean you, dear listener, is that government contractor roles can often require security clearance that disenfranchised foreigners like myself would be excluded from. Aside from being able to get the security clearance in the first place, which I and others like me wouldn't be able to do so for a US role, is there anything that you think makes candidates particularly suitable for working for government contractors? I think that the willingness to learn, right, Mm -hmm. and the willingness to understand how actual the contracts for the government works, what does that mean? How does it affect how you put together your functions? What does the contract's administration or management look like? Which pieces of the actual contract with the government are important to the ethics and compliance areas that we're responsible for. I would say that anyone who's willing to learn and understand that world, it's a completely different landscape than the commercial Mm -hmm. world, say. That would make someone a great candidate. Of course, someone who's had experience, maybe working for the government themselves, Mm -hmm. they have that understanding. I think that's useful background to have as well. All of our areas, typical areas of compliance, you can always apply what you learn in the commercial world to the government contracting space and vice versa. It's just the context or the landscape that you're in, the regulations that may be applicable to you or the additional regulations that are applicable to you are different. Nice. And then I'll change gears a little bit and talk about more of the softer side of the workplace. When you and I work together, I would rely on you to make friends outside of the compliance department, which some people who will remain nameless used to refer to the legal room as the morgue. I have no idea why. We're very fun and alive. Totally. Um, It was cold in there. It was pretty cold. (laughs) I I talk a bit more personally about our personalities. Okay, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just because it was cold. And when you made friends, I would then latch onto them after you secured them for us, which I think is probably a reflective (laughs) of our extrovert slash introvert personality types there. So you're particularly strong at building relationships with others in the business and having them respect you as a person. What are your secrets for making friends and building strong relationships with colleagues outside of compliance? I don't know, Mary, you're pretty good at making, sustaining friendships yourself. So I think you need to give yourself some credit. I don't know if I have a secret per se. Anytime I'm in a new role or I work for a new company or there's new colleagues that join, I do try to be very intentional in making time to get to know them before we jump into whatever it is that we need to work on together. Because I mean, 
one, it's important to build relationships because if you're going to work with them very closely, you want to make sure that their communication style, that it's a collaborative relationship, et cetera. So I try very hard to spend time to get to know them first before we dive into things. It can be really hard, particularly if it's a super busy week and you just need to get through your to-do list, right? Just mm-hmm. need to get to it. It can be hard to take the time to get to know someone, but especially in our space, right? We can't do our work effectively. Mm -hmm. We're in a silo. We need the other functions. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have a small team, right? So that's why the relationship building part is so important. Don't get me wrong. My extroverted self gets tired too. Sometimes (laughs) it's like the last thing I want to do is go to a networking event at the end of the day because I'm so exhausted after having spoken to so many people throughout the day. It's a balance, right? Totally. And your advice reminds me of some really interesting initiatives that a couple of gentlemen in the field have either told me about or that I've read about recently. Kevin with who's out in the UK, he set himself a goal of having 100 catch-ups with folks in the business to meet, greet, and chat. And I thought that was really cool, like turning it into almost a challenge for yourself. Oh, that is neat. Yeah. Within and- a, a quarter calendar year? Ooh, I'm ho- I'm hoping I he, I don't think I I recall the time frame. I'm hoping yeah. he meant for the whole of 2022. I hope so too. <laughs> that would be a lot of catch ups. Yes, <laughs> it would be a lot of meals throughout the day. Yeah, uh, which would be acceptable. Exactly. And then Walter Johnson does something similar where he makes it a mission to ask different people in the organization out to lunch and just have no agenda, just get to know them. Great idea. I will try to be better at it, but sometimes you just feel like huddling in your little corner of the morgue, feeling safe in your introvert area. So I will do my best to channel you folks and maybe set myself a challenge. There you go. I like that challenge idea. Yeah, you would crush it. Maybe start less than a hundred. That sounds like a lot to start with. Yeah. Although for seniors is like 120,000 people. So at least I have a right. lot to choose from. <laughs> that is true. Yes. So one of the things that we've talked about in the past is to use your accent and verbiage, mom guilt. It's a working mom. How mom you, guilt. Yes. It's mom guilt. How have you coached yourself on this issue to manage those feelings and perhaps expectations that you may be sitting for yourself or that you feel like society is sitting for you. Oh, that mom guilt is real. It happens to me multiple times a week. It happened to me last night, which is why I left to work happy hour at 7 p.m. instead of 8 p.m., which is the time I really wanted to leave. Uh, but I don't know if I manage it, manage those feelings. I just, when they come up, I accept them. There's a lot going on. We have a lot of different obligations, work obligations, family mm-hmm. obligation. Regardless of whether you have children, you could be care, a caregiver to your partner or to your parents. Whenever that comes up, I just try to see what is it that's going on. Typically, it comes up because I'm feeling overwhelmed and I have FOMO. I want to be at every social event. I want to be at every work event. Don't Mm want to miss this mom's outing. And I don't want to miss all of this kid stuff. And I want to spend time with my partner. I want to exercise. There's so many things to do and there's not Mm -hmm. enough hours in the Mm -hmm. day. How I've dealt with it recently is I just need to be okay with not mm-hmm. going to everything, mm-hmm. sometimes canceling on people. Mm-hmm. You know, this week I had to reassess my calendar and think about, okay, I'm going away for the weekend. So there's one guilt, right? I won't be around mm-hmm. my family for the weekend. There's a work-related event Thursday night. It's all the way in DC. I really want to go. It's, 
I know if I go, I'll get to see everybody in the compliance space. That makes me happy, but mm. it's a lot of work. The idea of it is stressing me out and it'll mm. take time away from my family, right? So mm. I consciously chose, okay, I feel bad bailing on this event, but mm-hmm. I think I just need to have a night in, right? Maybe next week I'll do a work-related event on mm-hmm. Wednesday or Thursday if things are not so crazy, right? It happens all the time, but we just need to... Be kind to ourselves. Mm-hmm. What we need on any mm-hmm. given day and any given week, and if we don't feel like seeing anybody, that's okay too. Yeah, abs- well, this introvert says heck yeah to that. <laughs> it's okay to just sit on the couch and chill. What do you mean it's okay? That's my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lovely life. Yes. <laughs> so, to you know, I think it sounds like you've gotten really good at a coaching question that Sue Scott mentioned in the last episode that I hosted, which was. If I say yes to this, what am I saying no to? And you've made the judgment call that sometimes it's necessary to say no to certain obligations because it allows you to say yes to more of the family things. Yeah. I think one of the things that you've been really great with is that you are still my friend, even though we have completely different lifestyles and we manage to go away on weekends together and you might not stay as long as I do on the weekend. So you might be like, I've got to get back for this, what is it, foosball match or whatever it is. <laughs> foosball. <laughs> Futsal. <laughs> yes, that thing. I've got to get back for Des's game. And but so foosball like, is also exciting. <laughs> yes, we could try that sometime ourselves and Des can wait for us to have a little match. There you go. So I like the fact that still able to balance both. And it may mean that you're not able to stay as long, perhaps, as you would have liked to at a weekend away. But hey, you get the best of both worlds. So I just think you're fantastic for that. Oh, I think I, thank I, you. I wrote that in a card to you once saying thanks so yes. much for coming, even though you, yes. you've got all your family obligations. It means a lot to me that I don't have to wait until the kids are 18 for us to hang out again next. <laughs> <laughs> that would make me sad. No, I think it's about, right, caring, recognizing what makes you happy. And sometimes you have to take some out, some time out for yourself. Mm-hmm. And what makes you happy? Is it hanging out with friends? Mm-hmm. It, not hanging out with anyone and just always trying to find that balance and it may change dated totally love it thank you Karina I hope that makes some other wick out there feel a little less stressed about prioritizing what you need to all right so Karina my final question for you today is what's your advice for the ambitious young wick who dreams of being a chief compliance officer one? I would say to not be afraid to raise your hand and volunteer yourself if you know you're the leader for your department or another department needs someone to lead a special project, manage a special project, uh, especially a multifunctional project. Or even if there's like a policy that your company needs revising and nobody wants to touch it because nobody is passionate about, say, records management, for example. But I do think that even for a young Gwix, right, any opportunity to manage a project, lead a project is going to come a long way. Mm -hmm. Will not only help you build your skills and build your confidence. But by the time you get interviewed for a role, then you can talk about these leadership opportunities that you had, even Mm -hmm. as more junior compliance professional. Mm -hmm. So seize the opportunities big and small. Don't even think about what your title is. Think Mm -hmm. about building your resume as you raise your hand for these opportunities. Fantastic. Very sound advice there. 
Thank you so much, Karina. It was such a pleasure to have you. So proud to know you and feature you on the show. Really appreciate your time, advice today, and of course, your friendship as well. Thank you, Mary. Always lovely chatting with you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.